Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Audible Farm Podcast. I'm your host. My name is Peter Stockdale. On today's episode, we sit down with Marco Battaglia. He is a bassist, uh, probably best known for his work as the bassist in Dark Mirror. Uh, Currently, he is the bassist in The Sleepover, and he's also the bassist in Unity. So we are actually bandmates in Unity, and uh, we've known each other for quite a while. We sit down and we talk about a handful of different things. Uh, We we even get a little bit into his uh, political career. So stick around. Enjoy the podcast. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. This is episode number 27 with Marco Battaglia. It's the Audible Farm Podcast with your host, Peter Stockdale. Uh, sitting down today with Marco, and how would I pronounce your last name? Battaglia. Battaglia. So uh, I've, I've often wondered that because I hear different people pronounce it different ways, and I'm always wondering how to pronounce it, so it's Battaglia. Yeah, and uh, I, I think it's one of those things where people that came from a certain uh, region uh, say one thing, and people that are more uh, American say one thing, but uh, Battaglia is uh, always how... Uh, my family came from northern Italy, so that's how how they do it. You, uh, you're some people might know you through different avenues. Uh, I first knew you as a musician, and you had played music as the bassist in Dark Mirror for quite a long time, and that was how I first known you. But how did you like get started or get interested in playing music? For me, that was in the. Uh, early, uh, let's see, would have been in elementary school. I, uh, had a cousin that, uh, got married to a guy that played in a band. I think they were, what are they called? Like Al's Basement. They're like an Iowa or a regional band. Uh, he played saxophone. And, uh, at the time I thought that was pretty cool when I was a kid, like Billy Joel and, Bruce Springsteen were always uh, playing in the background, so I gravitated towards saxophone first. Oh, that's cool. And uh, so I was, you know, really young in like fifth grade or something, and uh, just never really felt that comfortable with like a, that sort of instrument and having to blow into it and use my mouth. I mean, I probably I also never really got to be like, you know, able to hold a sweaty towel from Clarence Clemens or anything like that. So <laughs> so maybe if I would have stuck with it, that that could have been a cool thing, but I could never make the saxophone as sexy as, as I thought it needed to be. Um, so, so rather quickly, I switched to bass. And uh, just as far as my memories go, I almost feel like it's been uh, just almost like another appendage since, like fifth end of fifth grade sixth grade um always had really supportive parents so that was cool and they got me a a starter bass i think it was a a bentley is what it was called and uh um yeah i picked up vhs tapes when whenever i was one cool thing about 
coming of age in the late 80s and, and early 90s, I'm sure you can relate to, is when formats changed, you always got like the sales from the previous format, like yeah. VHS tapes were going out, so you'd go to the video store and there'd be like cool shit galore, like Cliff em All, I got around that time on yep. VHS, and um, uh, Made in England, yeah. and... Uh, and the Black Sabbath story. So there's like live footage of everybody, Ozzy and Ian Gillum and Dio. And uh, so, yeah, just seeing Geezer Butler and Cliff play really just, I was like, yeah, I'm a bass player. There's no no doubt about that. Yeah. And uh, just always, uh, you know, haven't gone very long without, you know, picking it up ever since. That was what, what really drew me into it and then uh around that that same year i sat next to uh, a dude eric wicker who was the first uh, dark mirror guitar player we played a speed run gig with him and uh, uh had a, a couple of projects with him throughout the years and uh i think it was my fifth birthday he got me master of puppets and and that pretty much just was the did you say your fifth birthday? Yeah. That is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and then he took lessons from a guitar player who my brother also took lessons from. His name is Michael Curry. And he just gave me a treasure trove of like just things to Ingve Malmsteen, Alcatraz, Flotsam and Jetsam, Doomsday for the Deceiver. He actually uh, was in an Iowa band called Atomic Opera, which was like a th- straight on thrash metal. And, um, so that, um, he actually, you know, would, would show Mick Thompson and Jim Root things. And, uh, Jim Root actually replaced him in Atomic Opera for a while. Um, I think he, he had all kinds of crazy stories. Like he tried out for Poison when he was in LA. Oh, damn. And I think... I want to say, I don't remember who came in right after him, some really notable guitar player. I, I know, and I think he passed C.C. DeVille on the way in, so he, he didn't get the gig, but uh, um, but he was definitely a shredder in his younger days, and now he's a really cool classical guitar player and just a real cool dude in general. That's awesome. Um, yeah, and... Uh, that same guitar shop, the old guitar shop, Mick Thompson gave guitar lessons at for a while. He gave my buddy John Feld lessons. So I just, I, it's, it's been really crazy to see the trajectory of those dudes, and especially the ones that uh, can shred, even if they kind of keep it in the, on the back burner or whatever. Yeah. So for those don't, that don't know, this we're talking about primarily the Des Moines area, right? Yeah, I grew up in Des Moines and uh, got to go on some some regional tours and things like that, but mostly um, was among the Midwest music scene from kind of the first gigs I started playing. And um, but yeah, so that was that was kind of a solid foundation in the the thrash metal because I think. Back to that epic fifth fifth grade, I he got me Master of Puppets for my birthday, and I I want to say I I either I think I got him Rest in Peace by Megadeth, so nice. It didn't really. <laughs> there hasn't been too much uh, to top those two records uh, 
ever since for that for my money but um the um uh see another interesting thing that just just made me uh uh go down that path i was in a little league baseball with uh uh, with a kid, his name was Nick Young, and he, his his grandmother worked for, uh, what was it called? I think it was called Sanctuary Records, whatever label Iron Maiden was on. No way. And he was like, uh, this was like after, you know, Little League Baseball practice, he was like, oh, I know you like metal, because he saw me carrying the Master of Puppets CD. He's like, I'm, I'm not really into these guys, but my grandma got like this whole discography of Iron Maiden. Would you want this? And I think I had one like beat up used copy of Fear of the Dark, and that was what I had for Iron Maiden. So I went from having that as like, you know, this fifth grader to having the whole collection, which at that time was uh, the first album through rock and rio i think oh damn <laughs> no maybe not. it was actually the first album through uh through the blaze playley albums because bruce dickinson had not quite yet came back so right. it was like an epic like one two punch couple of years because then after i really dug into the catalog then they announced bruce was coming back and brave new world came out and this was like like ACDC put out Stiff Upper Lip around that same time and yep. Pantera reinventing the steel. So it was like this badass resurgence that was like right, you know, at the right time for me. Yeah, you're talking about <laughs> Iron Maiden and that was that was one of the things that like the, the way I ended up meeting you was uh through Clint Blumker and Clint met you through his girlfriend Kelsey and uh I think you guys had gone to school together maybe. Yeah, uh, went to the University of Northern Iowa, and that was where I, I met Kelsey. So the the whole dark mirror thing, that's, you know, was a decade plus of, of active rocking, and uh, that uh, started with me and Eric Wicker. So it was a long time in the works from us, like, jamming to trying to play Master of Puppets in, in our, as kids, to... Kind of always just struggling to find a full lineup of people that, that played metal and um really we didn't find that until i was at uni and eric was at uh, the music school in st paul i think it used to be called like music tech and then mcnally smith and who knows what it is now yeah um but uh i just remember that i had met kelsey and we kind of hit it off on similar interests. And then I think she actually showed me a picture that had you in it. I think you and Kevin and uh, and Clint. Yeah, probably. You played in a group at some yeah, point, right? Yeah, we all grew up with... Uh, the, I've, done, I've done podcasts with all these people for the most part. But yeah, it was uh, Dan Blair, Clint Blumker, uh, Kevin Jensen, and Tom Hanrahan played the bass guitar and then before clint there we had another drummer called jake short that was his name yeah so that was sort of like the first time we didn't actually meet but i saw a picture of you um and and she was like yeah this is my boyfriend who's a badass drummer and i was like well you know things could get interesting there and, yep. and that was kind of a uh that took some time to come together because we 
Um, I basically, what was going on? I was walking through uh, the hallways at UNI, and over the radio station, I heard the band Blind Guardian playing. Cool. And I was like, oh, I'll say what's up to this, whoever's playing this. Uh, it was from the student radio station, and that was, the DJ was Alonzo Donoso, who was a student from Chile, and uh, he basically was like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a vocalist, and that was how we kind of encountered the first person in our history that really had uh, what we thought were the pipes to, to put out a... A, a, you know, full-on heavy metal record. Um, so then Eric was in Minnesota. I went to visit him. It happened to be the, like, I think it was a couple days after Dimebag Daryl got shot. So, like, our mood was pretty pretty low and sad and uh, to some degree eventually celebratory of, of the career and the good times. And... Uh, but we were at a Joey Belladonna concert, and I just remember we were like, hey, we've been trying to do this for years now. I, I think it's time. Uh, so he committed to come down, and we started uh, the writing for the first Dark Mirror album. And our drummer at the time was one of my roommates, A.J. Austin. Um, he lived above me in the dorms, and it was a crazy time having a, a guy have a full-on, you know, full drum kit in the dorms who could play, you know, heavy metal. A full uh, drum kit in a dorm room. That's, yeah. That's pretty... What could go wrong? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so so that was, uh, that was a great, uh, a great couple gigs there to get right out the gates. Um, then we had another guy, Tim Cummings, that picked up on drums who's a beast in his own right. Um, oh, yeah. And basically, AJ just wasn't, uh, you know, he didn't have the full-on playing live music bug. <clears throat> so he kind of let us know, you know, eventually you're going to have to find someone if you're going to want to play out in other cities. And <coughs> and um, so Tim Cummings uh, picked it up and recorded our first uh, EP and our first album with us <clears throat> and then uh, let's see here yeah yeah snag up some water yeah it's no big deal so what's actually pretty crazy about this is I actually got to play with Tim uh, with Unity we actually did uh, one show together uh, when I joined up with Unity and it was really great to actually get to play with him because it reminded me of how I had seen him play with Dark Mirror the first time I ever saw Dark Mirror and it was like man that was you know 12 years ago or something like that so yeah it's kind of crazy how that all kind of came full circle I got to actually play a show with him so that was really cool that I got to do that <laughs> yeah no that I thought I always thought that was great that uh those worlds wound up colliding and he's a awesome drummer like he's uh uh you obviously know having played with him that it is uh it's something special it's like playing with with clint yeah and um it's always uh really epic when you have someone that can do kind of these fantastical feats of of drumming uh i'm sure as 
when you're laying down rhythms, um, you know what that's like to really have someone that can kick it up into a, a gear where you're like, what, what the fuck? How yeah. is this guy doing this shit? Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you what, that's something I will forever be blown away by as drummers. Cause like I understand rhythms and patterns, but like performing them is, um, ridiculously, it's, it's almost, it seems impossible, you know, like I can play the drums, but I can play ACDC. That's like different than playing drums. Yeah. The, the double bass uh, theatrics or, or even like Nico McBrain does on one bass drum is, is nuts. Yes. Um, the, um, but yeah, so, so uh, eventually there, as uh, it would happen, Tim Cummings hurt his, his hand in some, uh, some kind of accident working outside. Um, so that was what brought Clint into the fold. And, uh, been playing with them ever since we actually just finished uh, we still play um just finished an album with the, the sleepover uh it's me clint and emery so we have uh, one album we did about a year ago called no sleep and now we just finished our second album it's called pajamas in public and uh that name actually came from there's a guy who's been in the local Des Moines scene forever, Rob Ogg. Um, and uh, uh, he uh, just saw us out at a gig, and he was like, what, man, pajama? you're wearing pajamas, you're in public, come on now. <laughs> and it just kind of <laughs> came from that. That's actually pretty um, awesome. <laughs> if you go to shows in Des Moines, you've definitely seen uh, Rob do something for the longest time. He's been in Skin of Earth, and uh, they're loud as hell boggy boggy as hell doomy and uh he's one of those dudes there <clears throat> there's these certain groups of people that have been around <clears throat> ever since uh since i was old enough to sneak into music venues yeah i mean that's another topic we could talk about <laughs> the uh at the time that i was really getting into it there was harry mary's um, in the Drake neighborhood, and there was <clears throat> House of Bricks, which is at that time was across from Merleham Mall. Yeah, yeah, I remember going to House of Bricks like all the time back in the day. And um, they, uh, so there was a band called Black Market Fetus that was uh, Nate Fetus, uh, Andrew Smeltzer, his brother Nick Smeltzer. And at that time, Rob uh, Sanda nice. on drums, yeah. and um, and they're still playing. They wound up crossing paths with the Dark Mirror family and Traffic Death, um, and they're to me one of the the most kicking bands going from Des Moines, uh, Traffic Death, and uh, so that has two of the old black market fetus dudes and uh, in Nate and. Andrew on bass and um, uh, some of our first shows uh, when we couldn't find a vocalist or, or a, a full-on drummer for the longest time me and Eric actually made a, a band that it was kind of yeah kind of taking the piss just because I am not a vocalist uh, never had uh, could carry a tune if you will I just kind of yelled my ass off in this band called Pud, 
and, <laughs> and so even we were like, you know, it's a funny name, and uh, <laughs> it was named after uh, Pud Galvin, who was like the first known baseball player to take uh, uh, foreign substances to try to improve his his pitching, and uh, I think it was like monkey testosterone or something jesus something taken from monkey testicles or something what like the that. heck <laughs> and and this yeah uh pud galvin look into into that character i wonder if that's where the term don't be a pud comes from i i think so actually i mean i would not be surprised um so it was kind of like uh some weird alice cooper inspired story like i was the reincarnation of this old time baseball player and uh, and then it was just I'll send you some some music of ours. It was, it was just shit we thought was funny mixed with Eric trying to rip it as hard as he could on guitar. So like some stormtroopers of death kind of yeah, stuff. Definitely, there was definitely a vibe of that. Very what? much so. Which uh, shout out to anybody that knows what I'm talking about. That's it's, it's almost niche, but it's not because there's a lot of people that actually know what that is. It's one of those things where in the right crowd, people will go nuts. I mean, that album, dude. Uh, yeah, Stormtroopers of Death. They have two, but the first record, the is first one, is super good. Ripping and uh, Scott Ian, Charlie Benante, Billy Milano, Danny Liker, and. Uh, yeah, nuts. And I think you early on you did a podcast with Eric Tran. Yep. And I had been playing with him in an early version of, of his group Transig, and we actually did one of those songs, uh, just the March of the S.O.D., Sergeant yeah. D. And, yeah, they've been still playing that, uh, fucking killing it. And that was fun as hell to play. Like, that's just one of those, like, Scott Ian stomp, a mud hole riffs yeah oh i love yeah that's a good one it's like scott ian stuff can just simply be described as almost exactly how you said it i just imagine somebody just like jumping around and stomping their feet everywhere and yeah that's like yeah no i love his guitar playing been lucky to see him a number of times now and uh uh another one of those things you'll never forget i think it was my my 19th birthday me and eric saw anthrax at the surf ballroom in clear lake this awesome was like john bush i think it was a we come for you all tour yep and they're opening for ronnie james dio and i think clint was at that I yep i didn't end up going to that. that i think nope. kevin might have been there and clint yeah so that was like the first time i know for sure we were in the same room but we didn't know each other quite yep. yet yep I always um, love figuring that out where it's like, I went to this show, and they were like, yeah. then someone else was like, yeah, I was at, well, I went to this town, and I was like, I was at that one, you know? Yeah, and that's kind of like the, the network of musicians growing up in, in this kind of scene, like the fact that we've crossed paths so many times and, and played with some of the same people. Yeah. and uh, But yeah, that was one of those epic things where, uh, like I think... Uh, Scott Ian commented on our head banging uh, during Metal Thrashing Mad and uh, Dio. I, I actually, someone caught wind that it was my birthday and a, someone in the crew gave me passes and Dio was like really sick, but just you could, the professionalism of that dude was, I, I couldn't tell whatsoever, 
that he had, you know, like pneumonia. And uh, he just fucking killed it. And then you find out he's sick. So it kind of sucked because, you know, I briefly got to see him. But uh, I got to talk to Rudy Sarzo a lot. Oh, that's an cool. awesome bass player. That's and, super cool. And I always remember him from being in Ozzy's group. He always stood out to me on bass. I think he was on, I think he, what, Quiet Riot for some time. And yeah. he's been all over the place yeah. to you and Blue Oyster Cult and shit. Yeah, totally. And, uh, but yeah, he was just the nicest guy in the world and like told me all kinds of stories. He told me how Dio played at the surf ballroom, like when he was, he was in like a doo-wop group called Dio and the Prophets. All right. <laughs> and, uh, it was one of these like doo-wop package tours that would play places like the surf ballroom in like the early sixties. Yeah. And I think tickets were like a dollar and fifty cents. I remember him telling me that. <laughs> That's insanity. So, so you, if you live in Clear Lake, you might have once seen a young Ronnie James Dio belt out some uh, "Will You Still Love Me Tomorrow" or something. Like That's that. insanity. Like people might not even know they've seen a gem of a show, and you know, <laughs> yeah, or yeah, it's uh, he's. Definitely, there's no. I don't think there's any other word you can use but magical about Ronnie James Dio. Uh, just his whole career has been epic, starting out with some awesome doo wop and then going full on holy diver on you. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, we were talking about like uh, how like the music scene and how we kind of met each other and how everybody kind of knows each other and how i mean i wouldn't say like everybody's been in everybody else's band at one point in time but there's been like different mishmashes and lineups of like you said uh, dark mirror was a thing and then people eventually like would leave dark mirror and then they would start their own thing and then that thing would eventually <laughs> kind of blow up and it's just kind of this trickle down effect of this uh ongoing juggernaut of yeah. of people that get together to make music and then uh, you know, f from endings, from the ashes of one thing comes the flame of another. Yeah. So, uh, you end up with a lot of that kind of going on and that's kind of how you and I eventually ended up being bandmates. Yeah. Uh, in unity. In unity. And that, that, and uh, that has been epic. And the fact that, yeah, we have multiple, uh, me and Alonzo and for a while there was Tim and then Clint from Dark Mirror and, uh, and Jeremy Hall was in there for a while. Yeah, they've and, had uh, quite a few different guitarists over the years. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, it, I'm just glad I could fill in the gap uh, when they needed me. Yeah, uh, it no, was, it's, it's been awesome. I uh, mean, it took a lot of work, but it got my chops up, I will have to say that. It's always interesting, uh, especially, like, uh, I was playing metal forever, but uh, then the sleepover is more rock and roll kind of punk inspired so it's it's interesting shifting gears uh for how different those worlds are and then there, obviously there's the stuff that kind of mixes it all both uh, all up together like the early iron maiden and motorhead and stuff like that yeah um but yeah i was also remembering that so when i was first going into shows uh there was the Mutts, to some extent, they're still around. Matt Mutt, if you haven't done a podcast with him, he'd be a good dude. Yeah, I should hit him up. To get on because we played a Pud show in Murray, Iowa. You know, you ever heard of Murray? No, not, not off the Just top of my head. Just a small town, and we played in like a warehouse. And I 
I just, it was just a rager in the middle of nowhere in, in Iowa. And, uh, uh, I'll never forget, uh, Matt Mutt for inviting us to that. That was just one of those crazy things that you get trying to play heavy music in, yeah. in Iowa in the Midwest. And, uh, so yeah, die, the mutts and die mutts, uh, skin of earth. Oh, those are some of those dudes are, are dudes that are still trucking and, uh, and black market fetus, which now now they have uh, epic traffic death. And so yeah. those are some of the earliest groups that I remember seeing, and it's cool that some of those dudes are still mixing it up. Yeah, and you know, it's like I said, it's not the fact that like the Dark Mirror was was the band, and everything that came from there was greatness. It's it's that everybody built their own empire, and they all started doing that with with their own bands. Because like I said, you know, like bands don't last forever, and it's just the way that it works. But people still want to make music and they still end up making music and it's still good, you know? So yeah, pretty much if, if you are not able to be on the road constantly or to, to go to a market that's more known for music, it seems like that's kind of what happens. You either keep doing it for the love of the game and, and then some people come and go, some people come back and it's, it's pretty cool really, especially if you can hear like the different, releases that got made at different points in time yeah and uh and i think uh and, and just it's interesting being a part of venues that aren't around anymore like house bricks at multiple locations harry yeah. mary's uh, the reverb i worked at the reverb for a while and we played a lot of dark mirror shows there some of some yeah. of our best shows i went to a few shows there upstairs right yeah yeah and um yeah we played with overkill there and oh, that was sweet just full-on ridiculous like it was one of those shows that made me feel good that we could like be on the same stage as overkill without it just being completely ridiculous yeah without it being like <laughs> why are these guys here yeah so yeah. that was like a a milestone really yeah, it was like we actually like didn't look like dumbasses <laughs> yeah and that's that's another good feeling though because like people tend to sell sell you up river but a lot of these bands that like we listen to and you know you're like oh i'm in a band and they're like oh well how, you know where do you play and i play for the, you know it's like who'd you open you know you play any cool shows i played with these guys and people are like i don't know who that is but you and i know who overkill is and that's friggin' cool and when you come you want to bring it you know you want to bring your a game they so, come to shred anywhere and that's like, if you watch them play in a concert, you know, to a sea of people, and then you live that that Cedar Falls reverb show, like, they bring the same thunder, and that is something I've just always respected. Like, yeah, this band that, that can make, you know, sea of, of rabid metal fans go nuts will play just as hard at, at you know, a small club and uh, just seem like they're they're loving it. And, uh, uh, and they had this, just this, their own attitude, like being from New Jersey, like a lot of people might not, might not take it the right way. Like I, I was the kid who went up and gave him like our album after we played with them to Bobby Blitz and, 
uh, singer of Overkill. And I just remember he was just like, hey, thanks, kid. I'll use it as a coaster. <laughs> <laughs> and like, you know, some people might be like, what the fuck, man? But I just thought it was fucking hilarious. That's awesome. Like, and even if he did, I mean, that's probably a more interesting story than, hey, he liked it and he listened to it sometimes. And uh, now he used it as a coaster. Yeah. I mean, that'd be friggin' sweet if they're on the tour bus and it's like it's one of their coasters or like how cool would it be to have just like all of your coasters are metal bands trying to make it and then yeah you know like that'd be a pretty cool thing to actually do i mean it's kind of disheartening but it's, it's pretty cool too. I had, it's just funny just the time that we were coming up man i went i was with clint and we had a situation like that with halloween we saw halloween and gamma ray and i gave they were like we got them, convinced them to like play one of our songs before they went on. Like they were like, "Oh, we don't really have room for for an opening band, but we'll play one of your songs." And that was cool. And uh, yeah. Michael Wykey just hit me with one of those comments. He was like, "We we gave him one of our records for from Dark Mirror." And he he was like, "Just my advice to you: grow up and make a new album." <laughs> and you know it's, it was kind of profound advice really like it's, yeah. it's what you do yeah <laughs> grow up and, and they're still growing up and making new albums themselves yeah <laughs> so we were talking about like how there's just all these different little communities in the in the music scene out here uh in the des moines area uh i mean it's that way in a lot of areas uh some smaller areas don't have multiple scenes just due to what's going on but one of those things that I've always found you being very good at, and I've tried to take your lead in this, is and that's supporting everybody. Uh, you've always been pretty good about that. You're one of the nicest guys I think I've met in the music scene. I don't, I almost never have heard a bad word about anything ever out of your mouth. <laughs> like that's how positive you are. Well, and, all shucks, <laughs> you'll ruin my uh, my heavy metal credibility. Oh man, no, I'm sorry, I'm so sorry. I mean, he's such a badass. No. <laughs> Fuck you, man. <laughs> no. I, that's awesome. I mean, that's a I, I can't complain about about that reputation. But I, it's just too small of a market and a scene to like really play a lot of those click games and shit like yeah. that. And I mean, I love heavy metal, and it's always kind of been known for this kind of air of of you know who's more metal or or whatever. But I thought, you know, let the music do the talking, do yeah. the cliche, and uh, just put out the best metal you can. And uh, people, uh, especially in heavy metal, people don't, uh, they can see through the bullshit a lot of the time. So you yeah. just let, let it, let that do the talking, and then there's no reason to really be a dick to someone that thinks, you know, a different sound is cool. And that's always been part of it, um, and kind of that that same attitude after after you have experience and you know, you you feel confident about what you're doing. Exactly. If someone wants to try to hang with you, like that's on them basically. Yep. <laughs> like like oh, you want to play with a band that that tries to work hard and be polished and. It's either you're gonna look foolish or you're gonna keep getting better yourself. And, exactly. And I've seen that happen a lot. Oh yeah. A band, I just, you know, especially being in security, uh, it wasn't shows I was paying to go see. You see this band and it's like, God damn, that was fucking terrible. But then they stick at it. Maybe they have like a member change um, or yeah. or whatever. They practice, go to the woodshed, and then 
they put out an album and you're like, God damn, this is the same dudes. Like, yeah. This is the same people. Well, we've all definitely had those shows where you show up and we're like, you're just like everybody's high-fiving before the show starts. You're like, this is going to be so cool. Everyone's going to love us when we're done with this. And then you, you show up to play and you're like, dude, we fucking sucked. And like, that's what I remember my first time playing. It wasn't horrible, but it still wasn't great. And people were kind of just like laughing at us and you could hear it on the recording. And it's like, oh, this is neat. You know, and it's, that was like back in high school, but like, I think everybody goes through one of those and doesn't want to ever do it again. So most, like, sometimes I just think, like, it's certain, sometimes a situation that shows up and, you know, I always give up any band the benefit of the doubt, even if I don't necessarily enjoy something, um, because it's not, you know, it's not made for me. That's, like, another thing I keep thinking, like, oh, if they're making this for someone, it probably wasn't me, and that's that's unfortunate because i want to like everything and i do you know that's the other thing too though is going going places and putting your music out there in front of somebody else it helps you appreciate exactly like you said all the work that somebody else is putting into doing the thing that they're doing yeah i I mean shit some nights just carrying the gear to the stage is is work yeah (laughs) dude i feel that and that's why you know it's i have a lot of respect for people that i see still doing it like uh recently saw doyle from the misfits like dude carries his own gear and uh you know some people think he's a dick but i think they just don't get you know his sense of humor because i think he's hilarious fucking hilarious and uh and just the fact that he'll still play a small club like the vaudeville muse and uh carry his own gear and jerry only i saw do that is a brother in the misfits yeah and uh just just like seeing people that are you know basically household names that still have that kind of vibe that mentality of like yeah we'll play with you we'll play with your fucking band and uh we'll carry our own gear and and whatever you know we'll sound check with just like the way you do we don't need the special rock star treatment yeah and uh so that was kind of where I got that from, I think, was just, you know, some of my heroes, like, especially, like, Jerry Only, and and, um, and that was one that really stood out, just seeing a dude, like, having a young punk band opening for him, and at the same time carrying his own gear, and then going from, like, you know, being a teenager playing like a new a wave of music and then being like you know so could be a grandpa and he's playing to like 12 year olds now so, yeah yeah so it's like it's some people might might not like that but i i appreciate it at least you know to a certain degree for what it is and uh it is one of those things like there's so many pros and cons to like being from a place like Des Moines, Iowa and making a home here and still playing music like you especially with heavy metal I really feel like you get back like what you put into it like we've had so many cool experiences like playing with Diamond Head and Ross the Boss yeah um, yeah Ross the Boss from Man of War like just we really hit it off and like we're friends to to this day and you know we shoot the shit and uh um there was this song that i really f- love uh, uh shell shock from the first man of war record and he because i told him that he put it in the set and that was just such a cool yeah cool little thing like to just come back to you 
um, one of my favorite live bands of, of all time was Nevermore, and we were supposed to play with those dudes right before they they broke up. Jeff Loomis? Jeff Loomis was yeah. in the band, and Jeff World Lo- Dane on vocals. And Jeff Loomis um, was like somewhat known for having tried out for, was it Metallica? Or, no, it was uh, Megadeth, Megadeth when he was super, super young, though, wasn't he? Yeah. He was I like think 15 or I something. I want to say there's 16. a video of him playing like tornado of souls or something yeah or maybe it was something from symphony of destruction countdown to extinction i just Um, i just remember when i was younger i was like what is going on here this guy is nuts yeah that would have would have been and would still be uh an interesting combination for sure oh yeah that um yeah, and I think everybody that's really played in the scene a long time has had those experiences. Like you guys have gotten to, you and us uh, together have gotten to play with some badass groups. Oh and, yeah, and uh, like Shrike, right? Uh, yeah, Was actually, that, that I went heard? I went to go see you guys play uh, Unity play with Queensrÿche once. And or, uh, no. Yeah, was it? No, it was. Uh, it was before we were yeah, in the group, maybe. Yeah, I think that's. I think that's right. I think I was just in the audience. I with bel- you. Was that at a uh, Woolies here in town? Yeah, that sounds right. All right, and I believe. Uh, I believe that happened. Uh, something like that. Yeah, and then uh, um, I saw Unity also open up for Metal, Fozzie Metal and Church. Saxon. Fozzie, yeah, Saxon. I mean, hell yeah! But like, I mean, we I joined up with Unity. We got to open up for Striker. Uh, oh that, yeah, dude, that blew my mind. I just, oh yeah, I knew that was gonna be good, and then you show up, and they just like bring the thunder, and all they had was it's, like four wash lights and a smoke machine, and that's all cool. they had for effects, and it was yeah. insanely good. It was like is the it was like the polish of like Richie Sambora with like the shred of of George Lynch. Dude, it was, it was like something. It was so good, and you could tell it was just their playing, like yeah, that, that made it stand out. It wasn't like. You know, a crazy ass stage show. They just loved it and got into it and yeah, that was that was hella out. good. Yeah, those guys, Skullfist. Those I mean, we we opened up for uh, killing it. Opened up for Vicious Rumors recently. Oh yeah, um, yeah, that was freaking sweet. Yeah, Clint's gonna be supporting Pentagram with Thorhammer. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And that is crazy. Yeah, I've, like about a decade ago or so now, me and Clint. We're at a pentagram show at the Vaudeville Muse and and hanging out with Bobby Liebling and that was surreal, surreal <laughs> experience. Like such a such a crazy motherfucker. And that's the other cool thing though, is like a lot of these bands are actually they're not like untouchable people. You go to the show and you set your stuff up and that you get to like interact with them and like, Yeah, especially in metal. Like, uh metal and, and punk and you know, sometimes that's good, sometimes it's bad, <laughs> but it's uh, always uh, always an experience. Yeah. I don't even really mind, you know. I don't. I've just been one of those dudes that, like, yeah, I guess I'm pretty easygoing, but like, people that get known as being, you know, a dick bag or whatever, like, for some reason, it doesn't usually phase me. Like, I really like Danzig still, yeah, and Ingve Malmsteen. It's like. Yeah, I mean, some of that comes with the fucking package, you know? Like, yeah. take it or leave it. Like, you don't have to like him, but 
yeah. I don't just I, like I get it. You want <laughs> it? You should be a good person, you know. Yeah. And, and Malmsteen's just like mean to everyone. Wears Rolexes, <laughs> drives Lamborghinis. Uh, when I went yeah. to go see the Generation X tour, everybody had a small stack on stage, and then Malmsteen had sixteen stacks. <laughs> and so, like, that's just the kind of guy Malmsteen is. Yeah. And I, I find it entertaining though too. It's like a caricature of themselves. It's like them blown out of proportion on a grand yeah. scheme. You know? Maybe if I had to deal with that, like I was like a roadie uh or like yeah i had to be responsible for it or around it or in a band with them uh, maybe i'd have a different opinion on that but it's, it's like, like some of it it's like they're you know it precedes them like dave mustaine like i'm sure he's not always a fucking dick or maybe he is but yeah i <laughs> but love watching like, old interviews with dave mustaine uh, and he's like, like i want to tell you something because this is the way it's supposed to be and it's like whoa okay like yeah, and there is something to be said for when you put something amazing out there. Like, like you can't ever take rust and peace away from him. And and does that give you a, a pass to be a dick? Maybe not, but it it's better than like putting out you know trash and then being a dick to people <laughs> yeah yeah that's true like you brought joy to many people just by having done this yeah so whatever man maybe uh, if you don't don't like him just stay out of his way yeah that's i mean <laughs> that's usually what i think about a lot of things it's like if you don't like this just just don't even talk about it just don't don't worry about it yeah, just let it go there's too much energy wasted in in you know worrying about things you don't like like there's too much good shit yeah i was actually uh discussing this earlier today with somebody how that just seems like there's no such publicity as bad publicity as a matter of fact if people talk poorly about something it gets blown out of proportion so bad that everybody knows about it yeah and, and then, you'll like you know give shitty websites clickbait for like decades yeah like oh you know how many stories do you need about nickelback or imagine dragons or Corey taylor or them feuding with each other like calling each other pieces of shit yeah it's like <laughs> like who i, I don't, don't know and i'm not trying to call anyone out but like <laughs> blabbermouth.net would be a good place to go like i follow them on everything yeah. and it's just like there's a Corey lot taylor of that says this and there's it's like, a lot of that, that doesn't matter that somebody said that yeah you know? there's a lot of that and then it seems like they have their own drama now like some kind of lawsuit and i feel like a lot of that gets blown out of proportion too because i feel like almost like that's isolated incidents of things that almost never happen and uh, people just like tag them on as stories and it's just like this happened plus if you're now one of the biggest bands in the world i went to the coliseum and and saw multiple people wearing slipknot shirts just on a casual hanging out yeah. at the coliseum that's and, crazy and uh, so like when you're a global uh phenomenon i i think you're probably going to work out uh some some differences most likely unless you just completely hate each other i don't know yeah <laughs> so uh you playing in the sleepover and me playing in three finger betty has kind of led us to get to know each other a little bit better i would say like we were always really friendly with each other i always loved seeing you you'd always either give me a huge handshake or a big old hug or something every time yeah. i saw you and uh it was always pretty awesome and then you know i just got used to seeing you at shows because i'd be in des moines a lot more often you know the last few years watching yeah. shows and things like that it's and, been awesome and you know recently we became band members and stuff like that but do you know like a direct lineage of all of the bands you've been in over time or 
Do you have like a rough estimate? Yeah, to some. So what's, I guess the first time I remember was seeing that picture that Kelsey showed me at UNI and you were in it. Yep. And then shortly after that, running into you at a Dark Mirror show. Yep. And that's my earliest memories of us crossing paths. Um, but so with two of my best buds, John Feld and George Thompson, we had a, like sort of a... Uh, puts metal and and punk and and who knows what else in a blender thing that we tried to to do uh i remember this was like right when it was like megadeth risk and system of a down sugar came out and yep. right around that time and uh and we had kind of that same problem could never find like a full lineup of people yeah um but I thought I think that would have been really interesting because they're interesting dudes. Like like George was more of like a professional vocalist, like saying in choir and stuff like that, and and um, and just a lot of things that never got off the ground um, just because of not finding a full group of dudes. Yeah, and we didn't even like play like we when me and Eric were looking for people. It didn't matter. Like we didn't care what age dudes were or anything like uh we had this one drummer named rich that was like straight up like spirit of cozy pal like what's it? awesome drummer yeah and uh um so we would play like crazy train with him and he'd just nail it and that was always awesome and um we had this guy named mike bates on vocals and he was just a straight up like sabotage john oliva oh crazy uh, Dio style like like he was just one of those types of dudes and, and really long hair and it was just a dude that was still carrying the flame and even though we were like kids so there was like a lot of epic like basement jams that I, we thought sounded fucking amazing yeah and then uh, um, and then yeah the d- dark mirror finally we decided to get cut the shit and get serious after Dimebag got capped and um, and then, well, okay. Prior to that, we had the, the PUD group where, um, we did have some pretty notable gigs. I think we played at like Johnston high school <laughs> and, uh, played at like, uh, one of those weird private membership buildings where they like have pancake breakfasts and shit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, um, so there was shit like that, and then uh, we played with a group I think called Place of Skulls once, which had uh, someone epic in there. I think it was a longtime Pentagram guitar player, and um, let's see, what really, Dark Mirror was like really the main vehicle for the longest time. Um, uh kind of was there like when the groundwork was laid for a couple different groups dogs of neptune which had a, a bunch of dudes from this scene yeah um jared Embry's fucking awesome guitar uh-huh. player and uh uh dan spain on fucking drums amazing drummer um and i always just kind of 
uh, was committed to, to Dark Mirror to a certain degree. Um, so I always was kind of like the starter guy for a lot of other projects. Like, yeah. hey, I don't think I'll really be able to like, you know, tour and, and play out of the state and whatnot. And, um, but I'll like help you out. Well, Dark Mirror is still trucking. Yeah. And um, so there was that. And then the transit thing was kind of just kicking it at some of their early practices yeah and then uh which also awesome dudes it was awesome to just even jam it not on stage uh-huh. and uh and then clint had his speed run thing that he's still still got trying to go out there so if you want to play some badass video game music hit uh, clint blomker up oh yeah and uh, um so it wound up we wound up helping him out with a gig in austin texas at the uh uh, classic video game festival. So we played like Battletoads music and F Zero music and yep. uh, all kinds of awesome, awesome shit. And uh, that was a really cool gig. Uh, there were some other bands, but but uh, I really felt good about what we brought yeah, to the table totally. at that event. And uh, um, so that was awesome to play with me, Eric and Clint as a three piece yeah. and, uh, or, or actually no, and Edgar and, uh, uh, he didn't get to go on that uh, trip, but he was, uh, still rocking with Clint, I think until right before that. Yeah. And then, um, the, uh, uh, what else happened in there? Oh, the sleepover got to play in Austin on that trip, which was cool. At yeah. The Mohawk cool too. badass venue. And, um, Sleepover's gotten to do some cool shit. Played at the Iowa State Fair. Got to play live on Iowa Public Radio, which was pretty cool. Both of those are, are sweet accomplishments. And, uh, yeah. And now I feel really good about, about the second album. So happy to get, get that out there. And, uh, um, but yeah. So that's, the, the, for well over a decade, it was Dark Mirror was kind of my thing. Um, and there's still, you know, we still talk about what we can do and still write. It's just like once you've kind of had so many plateaus, if you're going to do something, you want to do it right. So if those stars align uh, and we feel like we can do it right, you know, I don't think anybody rules it out. It's just like, you know, can life uh, work it out? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> So you've been in quite a few bands over the years, and uh, you've accomplished quite a bit. It sounds like doing all that with all those bands. I mean, you've gotten a decent amount of exposure with the Dark Mirror, and uh, you've helped a, a lot of bands kind of start, uh, help them out in a starting spot in a sense. You know, uh, filling in the bass roles and sometimes leaving. You've uh, recorded a lot of albums. It sounds like. I mean, you've put your time in, and and it shows. I mean, I've always seen you down here. It shows. Uh, I mean, like like you said, it's been about a decade now. I mean, you and I have, it's not like we've been doing it hand in hand, you know, clowning around town, but at the same time, like I see you at shows, it's fun to like, I'm, I'm at a show, I'm just kind of standing there and then all of a sudden somebody smacks me on the back and it, I turn around, it's you and it's like, yes, all right, Marco's it's one here. one of those things where I think that's almost what it has to be like in this, uh, you know, where it's a struggle for even a household name to like, you know, make money on a tour um, if you are just a fan of music, then 
like it's gonna come it's gonna come back to you in some way like either yeah. an awesome show finding a new band you know making new friends seeing old friends you know eventually no matter where you live it seems like someone epic's gonna come you know within driving distance um you know within transport of where you're at like you know seeing uh uh the gas lamp what, what was that show that we it was uh uh the unity show it came to the gas lamp as we talked about the Unity yeah. show, that was vicious rumors. Vicious rumors yeah. coming to the gas lamp was nuts, and you know that's like the gift that keeps on giving. Just having experiences like that. Yeah, you get to actually open up for them, and then you get to enjoy watching them play, and at, that kind of stuff just blows my mind. And even just the fact that you can have bands like that come through town. Like I remember going to see the Travis Larson band in town, and that's not like a hugely popular band by any stretch of the imagination but i absolutely love them and it's just uh people shredding on instruments whether it be bass drums or guitar and it's i think that's another thing is like you know when someone shreds they shred and and respecting other types of music definitely helps like uh, i love eric sardinas he hasn't yeah. been here in a while but for a while it was like a regular stop yeah it was and, like almost almost and, every year every other that, year he'd be here yeah that was that dude you know was keeping the delta blues i love seeing him a lot like me and clint went to a steve Vai show when we were still in high school yeah and he opened up for steve Vai on tour and it was just like what like i couldn't believe what was happening i was back when he still used to light his guitar on fire <laughs> yeah that's funny yeah he yeah. light his guitar on fire and put it out with a beer bottle it was friggin' nuts yeah and i think it's awesome when dudes like that can get along and it also is kind of funny sometimes when they don't like i saw um recently joe joe bonamassa and richie faulkner from judas priest we're like getting some back and forth going and it was kind of funny like when it's both people that that can play it's kind of interesting like just seeing how it plays out yeah i mean like that's another thing i like to think about is uh you're like me where you've tried to play a handful of different styles uh over the years uh for example like you're you're in unity and sleepover currently and i'm in unity and three finger betty so we both have like the punk to yeah uh, punk uh, to metal, metal switch which rock is and roll to it's metal not, it's not always an easy switch to switch on and off and yeah and it makes you kind of think about everybody's different playing style and you know like blues is a completely different beast even though it's it's not super hard to play all the time but it's still different you know and yeah i feel like it's really hard to play a blues set that is gonna blow people away like yeah it's easy maybe to just pick up and like jam but people will get tired of what what you're doing but to really like just like make people pay attention and be like god damn yeah that was some fucking blues you know yeah it's yeah no shit man no shit chat (laughs) i'm totally with you uh but yeah uh, it's just weird not always easy to flip that switch and it's kind of funny when you when you are a musician you understand things where you're like you're growing up and it's just like man i love people that can shred and people are like listen to rage against the machine he's like tom morello can't shred but then you go out there and you get all the things tom morello has at his disposal and you try to sound like he does and you're like how in the hell is he doing this yeah you know he's a genius in his own right and yeah and that's the other thing just like like it goes hand in hand with I, i think the reason that i can just go to a live show and and 
oftentimes pick up something cool is probably being a, a bass player and, and you know anytime you're part of the rhythm yeah. it's like there can be something there's treasure to be found oh yeah like, i took a a course on motown bass playing and there's like so many amazing like to this day nothing's been on the radio where bass is like in the forefront like sometimes um you know the main riff main melody of a song yep uh where it's loud and, and up front and uh you know oftentimes it was like studio guys just kicking it live and uh um you know, sometimes stuff they just learned on the spot and shit. Yep. And that, to me, is still, like, as far as what's been played on terrestrial radio, some of the most epic shit as far as, you know, coming from the bass. Yeah. And, um... I, I look at the bass guitar a lot like the engine in a car. The real people who know cars know to flip open the hood and look inside, but everyone else is just like, that Lamborghini looks so sweet, and it's just like, you know, this car's cool-shaped and cool-colored, and I want that thing, you yeah. know? So people don't actually know, you know, like, oh, if you open up the hood, you know how awesome this car actually is. And so the bass is like the engine, you know? It, it actually makes the car go. It's not the outer shell. It's not, it's not always about the flashy guitar and stuff like that. Because I'll tell you what, if something doesn't have a good bass beat or a good groove to it, or like the bass and drums don't line up just right to make that special sound that needs to happen, the song just doesn't quite feel quite yeah. right. You know. Plus, yeah, like listen to Geezer Butler talk, or uh, or Steve Harris, or like when Cliff Burton did interviews. Uh, you know, he liked like Peter Gabriel, and they liked like Tony Levin, and and uh you know cliff even mentioned get, being into like rem and shit and like i always thought you know that to me is more interesting people that come out and make an, an epic heavy metal album that you know drew inspiration from all these different places yes. versus just you know you don't just you know necessarily wake up and eat a bowl of heavy metals yeah exactly uh not everything has to be a big punchy in the mouth kind of a <laughs> song uh from start to finish you know and that's that's just one of the things about music i think you and i are on the same exact page is once you start playing it once you start making it you really start appreciating what everybody else is putting into what they're doing and what their inspirations were and how it got them to where they're at yeah that, that's kind of what this whole podcast is actually about yeah you know, really. yeah I, you know and i don't hate it when it happens like overkill has been basically doing that every you know solid fucking albums every couple years of their existence and they're still doing it and you know sometimes people do like slayer puts out rain and blood and i don't think anybody's gonna get angry at that you know yeah if if you if you can get away with that then then go for it man well i think we're getting pretty close to an hour uh we've given a lot of shout outs and talked about a lot of bands and a lot of your endeavors and i don't even think we've you know really scratched the scratched everything yeah, we can probably got got sidetracked a bit but uh yeah we can always uh kick it kick start it back up heck yeah i mean uh You've been really busy as of late, not not just even as a musician. And I don't know if you want to talk about that. Uh, maybe just yeah, just, I'm I'm comfortable talking about it. Yeah, talk I, about it a little uh, bit. Maybe we the, can pick it back up in the next one. Yeah, in the last year, I ran for political office and uh, was in the primary for governor of Iowa, and then got nominated to be a attorney general candidate on the ballot in the general election the last time around. 
got uh, you know hundreds of thousands of votes. Yep. And, yep. Yep. Uh, uh, it was. Uh, uh, you know, it was just one of these things where uh, it's not so much liking politics as seeing it all around me and not seeing people speak to so many things that I thought were important yeah. and uh, almost like just wanting to know like you can do it without taking bribes and uh, you know, getting into all the bullshit that exactly. is, uh, that, that politics has become. It's like, I, I really was, uh, was proud of what, what came of it so far. And, uh, you know, it was a big thing was I was just going to go into it and uh, be myself and, and uh, not really filter anything or change anything. I think you and, did a really uh, good job of that. Yeah. And I don't I think uh, just, just feeling that um, got like endorsements from people that were mayors and governors. Um, and that was pretty cool. Like they would read my platform and. And uh, say like, yeah, this uh, is you know things that we need right now, and yeah. uh, um, got to raise a lot of money for uh, a mental health uh, clubhouse model of mental health care. Um, there's a really awesome place called Passageway in Des Moines. Um, they'll give you a tour sometime, or if you if you need a place to go, they're there. Yeah, um, and. Uh, uh, raise some money so homeless shelters don't turn people away in these you know brutal winter days uh -huh. and uh um helped fund a film called grid shock that's coming out in a couple months on uh, what's going on as far as human trafficking that's actively going on in iowa and it's about how we can kind of end that demand and and you know so people actually know what to look for and how to to report it and also some awareness on uh, you know so victims don't become uh, you know made into criminals and get victimized all over again and that sort of thing um, so it's been it's been kind of a rude awakening in some ways when you're sort of like um, someone that that you know didn't necessarily like politics but kind of watched from afar and then you try to to affect uh, try to make some change and and raise some awareness and then you look under the hood and you see like whoa maybe things are more corrupt than even yeah. you think like, yeah and and you know it's kind of like it's this really weird oppressive regressive system of like everybody gets pitted against everybody and everybody's like a little dirty so who is the like who's the bad guy like yep. then you like meet someone and you're like well, I thought this guy was fucking Satan, but he's not that bad. So, like, what is going on here for real? Exactly. And it's like it's like just a system that's built to turn people against each other, and and everyone gets a little dirty. So you don't know who 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 do you want to take down? It's just like the whole house of cards needs to come down, and I think it is coming down. There's just I thought maybe I could be one of many people running to kind of like try to you know have your hands clean as best as possible and be like a little parachute so yeah when this shit does fall down there's like there's you know programs that people actually need that are helping people yep you know getting away from the war on drugs and 
and making criminals out of people that aren't violent and just taking some problems and actually trying to find solutions rather than than just straight up punishing like yeah put, punishing somebody and perpetuating the issue put, uh put fuel on the fire and um uh, I, I felt you know i felt accomplished and uh managed to avoid i think a lot of the the pitfalls and the nastiness yeah i think you did a very good job of not misrepresenting you for yourself and who you exactly are and i and exactly like you said i didn't i didn't see you change in any way i didn't see you become a different person after you became a politician and i'm not saying politicians all change when they become a politician but it wasn't like a business venture for you it wasn't something where you had people pay you money to be your constituent to say what they wanted you see that a lot and and you know someday you're not gonna have to do that shit to win and I was just happy to be like a part of that, if nothing else, a stepping stone to when that time comes. Yeah, because it doesn't seem like an impossibility. Because, you know, the fact that I knew you and you were going through all this and talking about all the voting and, and all of my friends were talking about it kind of raised us to actually see, you know, how many people there are actually out there that don't necessarily agree with just a two-party system um, or or just the generic idea that this is what's politically correct and we've always done it this way, so we should just keep doing it this way or whatever, you know? Yeah, and, and I've never been one to really be, like, against someone who's like, I don't want to participate, I want no part of it. Like, I get that. I get that mentality, and I think that's what's most important is what you do you know, what you do with what you earn, how you treat other people, like that goes so much further than a lot of political bullshit. Yeah. And at the same time, like, I felt like there was a lot of people either that went completely unrepresented or, or certainly misunderrepresented and uh, um, just... Uh, uh, it was like i get i get you know the people that think you should participate and i get the people that don't want to and i just think you don't you know if if someone wants to disassociate from the system as much as possible that is a okay with me i'm not i'm not i didn't go to those people and and beg them to to participate i just wanted to to be uh be a voice for you know all these independent people that we agree on a lot of things and we just don't see those things happening yet and i think a lot of the dominoes are falling and it's just weird you know if you never see anyone like you participating like why would you want to participate so that was part of the reason why i did it because if there was no one that I could look up to, then try to be one of those people. Yeah, that's a weird thing to try to find your place to fit in in politics when you agree with some things on the left, some things on the right, but you also agree with a whole pile of things that, that don't agree with either side. And it's tough <laughs> yeah. to find your spot to fit in. Yeah. And, and and you kind of just gave some of those people a voice, you know, some of those people that didn't feel like they had a place to fit in, you gave them a voice. Yeah, I felt like, uh, you know, to some degree the uh you know the what they tried to make the hide character on that 70s show like get that guy to run sometime because he's actually yeah. smart yeah exactly <laughs> yeah like like come on man like if you're gonna think if you're gonna think critically about 
10 things that are that are directly facing people in Des Moines or anywhere in Iowa where anywhere really that you live like you're not going to fit into any kind of box and uh and uh, you know increasingly uh, I like to think we're not going to either as a a political uh combination of people or as a country so so yeah, it was more just like an experiment slash if you don't see somebody speaking to these issues, be the person. I encourage other other people to do it. Uh, I mean, it's not without risk to sticking your neck out there and, and people are going to, uh, you know, some people are going to hate you. Yeah. It's <laughs> just, just for saying something. It's that, the nature of the beast that some, comes with it. Some people will really like you and maybe... They're, they're like people that, that you don't appreciate or you don't like. It's, exactly. a, it's, it's kind of a trip. Like, the, it is, it does make for strange bedfellows. Like, oh, I never, you know, really like that guy and he's a, a diehard supporter. <laughs> yeah, or whatever. exactly. But, but, um, I think if your heart's in the right place and, and you can do it, uh, you should. And, and the flip side, I, I get it. Um, if you really try to, stay out of it i don't blame you either because it is a mess uh and um yeah i i guess i just always came from that perspective that what you know what you do as an individual carries a lot more weight than a lot of people think yes and even if that's just you know how you treat people your neighbors your community if you give back when you can it doesn't have to be money volunteer at uh you know, the mental health facility or the homeless shelter and like, um, you know, actually get out and get to know people instead of just the, the mean comments on the internet and shit. like. Yes. That. Yes. People are not always what they seem online. It's not always that. Or, or get to know the people that can't afford, you know, smartphones and an internet connection. Like, oh, like yeah. get to know these other people that you share your city with. Exactly. Well, uh, we've we've gone past an hour by ways, but this has been a great show so far. I've I still feel like we haven't quite <laughs> touched on every single thing that yeah. happened. Yeah, so we, we can always do a, a yeah. part do sometimes. Yeah, I'd love to bring you back another time. So, uh, thank you very much for just joining me on this podcast episode. And uh, totally, I, it's been awesome. I, I'm glad we kind of, we finally. Uh, uh, you know made it work yeah i mean we've kind of been talking about it for a while but like like we were talking about you you've been pretty busy as of the last you know year yeah, so and you yeah and check out the archive uh you've had so many awesome people um on from from the different scenes in iowa it's been been a trip yeah i i hope to just keep expanding it further and further and further because i recently did a podcast with a comedian so it's you know i'm looking just for anybody out there that's an entertainer that's talented that wants to just talk yeah. with somebody I mean, I'm, about I'm what's sure going on the comedy scene you'll get all kinds of stories too because it's that same experience being in a smaller market and yeah if you're really dedicated to comedy i, I look at that you know yeah, uh, Brian Posehn talks about how you know so so how similar it is to, or uh, yeah, just uh, how similar it is to performing. You know, no matter what, yeah, you're almost, holding an instrument or holding a mic or whatever. It seems like almost every performance art goes. I was gonna say they yeah. almost all seem to go through the exact same struggles. Yeah, that's another one we didn't get into. Both uh, huge pro wrestling fans. Yeah, totally. <laughs> so uh, 
I guess we got plenty of topics for yeah. part two that may or may not come out here soon. Yeah. But uh, we do need to sit down again and do another, Hell another yeah. episode. Because you did say you got a new episode coming out with uh, The Sleepover. Yeah. A new record and... Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Pajamas in public and we'll uh, we'll get it out uh, to to the people soon. Hey, if anybody wants to listen to you on uh, Sleepover or find any of your music for any of the bands, where's the best place? Uh, Sleepover, Bandcamp, we've been supporters of that whole venture, so Dark Mirror is on on that. Quite a bit of stuff on the YouTube. Um, Me and Eric actually do some riffing on just hashtag heavy radio, and uh, um, yeah, really those are the best ways. Just put in uh, Dark Mirror youtube dark mirror Bandcamp, or the sleepover same 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 diff all right i'll uh i've i know most of those links so i'll slap uh information for you in the sleepover down below i'll put the unity information down below i'll put the dark mirror information down yeah below. i'll send you some goofy ass pud shit too yeah if you want uh send it over i'll uh, put it all down below and uh if you want to send me your personal page on facebook or something like that i I can definitely share that for you too always happy to to shoot the shit yeah so thanks again super appreciate it it's been uh marco battaglia hell yeah is that right yeah nailed it all right we'll see you how are you (laughs) hey that was another great episode and uh, i want to thank marco first and foremost for joining me on the podcast and uh I think I might have dropped my first F-bomb in that episode. I was running back through it. I don't know if anybody heard it, but uh, I guess that's why I label these as explicit, just in case anything like that slips. So uh, sorry if I offended anyone, but uh, that happens sometimes. So that's uh, that was a great episode, though. I, I like sitting down talking to Marco. He had a lot of great things to say. So we always have great conversations. I figured we should just sit down and, and actually record one together. And unfortunately we couldn't cover everything in a whole hour. So I'll probably bring him back and we'll talk again with him pretty soon on another episode because we barely scratched the surface. Uh, we kind of just talked about the music he likes and then, and, uh, the places he's been thus far. Um, and like I said, we barely scratched the surface. So Maybe we'll talk about a little bit more in the next podcast with him, and uh, I'm looking forward to having another conversation with him. And I'm looking forward to the next episode, too, because it's going to be a great one, too. So thanks, everybody, for joining me on this episode, and I hope you guys all enjoy the next episode as much as you enjoyed this one. So thanks for listening. I'll catch you next time. Thanks. Peace.